Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist and also author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It is your source for information about all things related to positive psychology, my approach, which I call goal-achieving psychology, overall wellness, rejuvenating, and enthusiasm about living. As you know, we try on an ongoing basis to provide you with guests who both lead their own lives with enthusiasm and have made significant contributions to help you lead your life in an enthusiastic way and sometimes providing a new way of thinking. Today's guest really fits that category of giving us a new way of thinking, a way of perhaps challenging some of our previous beliefs, seeing what makes sense, what doesn't. But the bottom line is one more way of leading our lives enthusiastically and with wellness orientation, not focusing on disease, but moving forward with our lives. Dr. S.K. Ramesh is man who is almost intimidating in terms of the background. He's not an intimidating guy, but his history, he has gone from trauma surgeon to awakened surgeon, which is kind of an interesting combination of things. He has a significant history in trauma surgery, was a medical doctor, professor, and consultant in trauma surgery and orthopedic surgery, Subsequently, got a PhD in wellness sciences and is a doctor of science and transformational sciences. He worked 36 years as a trauma and orthopedic surgeon. He participated in the establishment of the first medical school and state-of-the-art trauma center in Dubai, and then developed the ACE to MEF sciences, which I'm going to let him explain to us, and has expanded his work to include a worldwide community devoted to really becoming more awakened, more enriched in their lives, and really not the kind of thing you'd typically expect from a trauma surgeon. So we're going to try to find out about that. One of the most interesting things that I've learned about Dr. Ramesh is that although he established a major reputation in Dubai, he actually kind of lives down the road from me, and he's in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and I look forward to the COVID-19 pandemic settling so that I can spend some time with him on an individual basis. Dr. Ramesh, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's such a thrill to have you with us to talk about your most amazing history and all the things that you're doing now to transform the world. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ron Kaiser. You know, the way you introduced yourself and the way you introduced the podcast itself was fascinating. It was a learning process for me that if I ever start a podcast, I need to have this style. I need to have this confidence and I need to feel good about whatever you're saying. And that's what I felt. So thank you for this, Dr. Ron. I appreciate that. It makes it a lot easier when you've got an interesting guest 
who I'm really interested to find out more about. I think maybe the first thing I'd like to do is find out a little bit about your early background. Where did you grow up? How did you decide to go into trauma surgery? And tell us a little bit about your experience in that field before we go into the next phase of your life. I'm from India, and I studied in King George's Medical School. I became a doctor, and that's a long story. I wouldn't like to go to that story. You know, it's your destiny which takes you where you are. That is one of the keys. My father was an engineer, and he wanted a very successful engineer in the world scene, and he wanted me to become an engineer. That was his dream, and every father's dream is that the son is most successful. However, things didn't turn out as they are supposed to, based on the relationships you have with your parents or your father. And I decided to escape that. And I said, I want to become a doctor, not knowing that that was the real destiny. That was what I was supposed to become. That was what was my education supposed to be. And that's how it started from the age of nine. And you as psychologists understand the age between nine and 14 and suggestibility and all that. So that's what took me. And a shift happened. And I decided to go to medicine. And I was doing whatever I was doing to see that I please my father. But my father was never available to me to say that I'm happy and you're good. And he always said you are good for nothing. And I literally did very well in life and finally became a doctor, not knowing that I became a doctor because I was supposed to meet my future wife over there. That was another beautiful thing that I didn't realize why I didn't go to that medical school and that medical school and that medical school and I go to this school. So everything is designed and it is being awakened inside us. And then I became a doctor and then I was a very practical guy. Am I going to think how to treat a disease or am I something absolutely concrete? Okay, a bone is broken, it's broken, it's visible. I can see the bone, I can fix it. I know that it is going to heal and I know how it is. So it was very practical. It should be available, it should be visible, it should be experienceable, not hypothesized. So that's why I went to trauma surgery. And trauma surgery, I had such a wonderful career. I grew very well. I came to Dubai and that's where my experience started, not knowing as a very young doctor in my very early 20s. You know, we become surgeons very early compared to in the United States. I was a surgeon by 23, 24. And whereas it takes almost to 30 to 36 to happen. So I had a lot of time ahead of me. And then, of course, I met my wife and then I went into trauma, super successful, teaching, everything was happening. And then my young wife developed rheumatoid arthritis. Then I said, in spite of being so successful, in spite of being very famous as an orthopedic surgeon and a trauma surgeon, my education failed me. I really didn't know what is the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. And this disease and many diseases we were treating those times without knowing what they were, and we called them iatrogenic because the cause was unknown. And all we were doing was symptomatically treating rather than going into the root cause and allowing the disease to burn out. And this is what it was. And that is why I had to literally realize, you know, it was difficult for me as a doctor to go and find. So I, I didn't want my wife to take those medicines, anti-inflammatory, steroids, cortisone, etc., or anti-cancer drugs. And I wanted her to be free of that because we were young. We were in the productive age. We could have babies. 
And with all these medicines, they could cause all sorts of things to the fetus. Plus, we knew the side effects of these medicines. And the side effects of these medicines, and then I realized, oh my God, I'm thinking so much to prescribe it to my wife. But when it comes to somebody else, I prescribe it so easily. I don't think of all these consequences. That was a dilemma. Why am I different with people I know? I should be the same with everybody. So that was a situation. And then we tried every alternative method, but to no avail. She was getting worse. Her agony, her problem, her situation, the whole family went into a turmoil. And that is when, and even the alternative systems are only exaggerating, but not improving. And I said, really, I need to find out the cause of disease. I need to bring ease into this girl. She's such a beautiful human being. She's so caring, loving, affectionate. Why did she have all this problem? That is when my quest to find out about disease against my principles of medicines, which is so science-based and research, I had to go out of the box to find it. So that is how it started off to find out what is disease. And how do we find a solution to it? And how do we bring everyone to peace? That's really, really interesting. You know, when you think of somebody who may make that kind of shift, for myself, working in a medical school, trauma surgeon, orthopedic surgeon, almost any kind of surgeon, I wouldn't necessarily see them as the kind of people who would make that kind of shift. Because again, as you said, there tends to be, unlike those of us who, work with the brain that, you know, if you've got a broken bone, there is a right and wrong way to do things. And to be kind of expanding the thinking, I think is fairly unusual for somebody in the surgery area. Am I correct? Yes. Why I'd say it's correct? Because when I used to talk about all these things with my colleagues, they would say, hey, guy, is something wrong with you? Are you thinking straight? But believe me, it's a fracture which told me the principles of life. When you break a bone, there is a certain force which bends it and breaks it and it gets angulated, for example. And what is the solution? We just need to repeat the opposite direction and bring it together and fix it. So in life also, if we have gone on the wrong path, all we need to do is trace it back and go on the right path. We need to only realize that this is what has happened. This is the angle. Let me straighten that angle and come back to the right direction I'm supposed to go to. It doesn't matter if we made a mistake. So these were the things which were happening inside when I was doing trauma surgery, but more so after my wife's disease. And I realized that I learned a lot of principles of life by just being a trauma surgeon and just seeing a fracture and how to correct it. So life also works in the same principles and we need to do. That was the realization when I went in search of disease to ease. How do I bring a disease state to ease? That's really interesting. So it makes it sound like maybe, despite what I thought, that being a trauma surgeon may have really sensitized you to thinking in that way. Which, of course, leads me to the next obvious question. What then? Did you do as you transformed what went into your thinking process and how do you deal with disease? Uh, how did you deal with disease with your wife? And how do you generalize it to 
a theory or a concept that works for other people? So first thing was reluctance to go. Then I go and go to a training on energy. And it's way back in the early 80s. And then I go back to energy and then I went with an open mind, although I was reluctant. And I had the most wonderful experience of how these people were talking at another level beyond our head about how energy functions and works of the body. So I was quite fascinated. And then I said, okay. And I started applying a little bit of these principles on my wife and seeing an improvement. And then I went, I said, look, I need to find out more. I had to read books. I had to go to various teachers. I traveled around the world, but to no avail. The books were telling the truth of that person who wrote the book. The teachers were telling the truth of what was their experience and what was their contribution to be. And I respect that. But I never got the answers of why really disease happens. Why do we have disease? And that is when I had to let go of all the teachers, all the books. It's almost in the early 30s, I stopped reading anything beyond my subject of trauma surgery where it was necessary for me to grow as a trauma surgeon, continued growth. But the rest of it, I had to leave. And those days, anyhow, there were no mobile phones. They were just coming in. The only thing was a beeper to call you if there was an emergency. So there was no WhatsApp, nothing to distract me. And I decided to leave everything out of the world and came to go into a journey within to search what really is the cause. So that's when I went from going out to within. And when I went to within, there were three realizations that every human being is supposed to do in their life. Number one, they need to awaken the teacher inside themselves. They are their own teachers. There's no teacher outside. There is no guru outside. You are your own master. After awakening the teacher, and the reason to awaken the teacher is really to find, take a decision. Am I going in the right section? Is this righteous? Should I do this or should I not do this? It should be answered by the teacher within and not anybody else. That means you need to take your decisions. Number two, all the knowledge which people talk of in all the books and internet and Google and all this universal library is very much present inside you. You were given all the knowledge when you were born in order to survive, in order to live, in order to do whatever you're supposed to do. So it's all inside, ingrained, imprinted inside. Where do we come to such a conclusion? If there is a macrocosmos, with the university, universal library of information, there is a microcosmos. You, this is our scientist postulation and hypothesis and contemplation that we are an exact replica or the holographic representation of a universe. And I am the micro. Then there is the mini, the atom, the electron, proton, neutron, which is also complete in itself. It's its own universe with all the knowledge in the very miniature state. So I realized and I needed to find out where is this knowledge inside me? Where do I tap it? Where is this anatomical structure? Where is this invisible structure with this universal library of information? That was the next question. And finally, we came to the third one that everybody is born for a purpose. They need to find that person, purpose which is written inside them and they need to fulfill it. And the common fulfillment is contribute to the continued growth of this universe. 
all the time this universe or all the cosmos is expanding. And each of our contributions complete the expansion. Can you imagine? I realized this all within myself without having to be led to any teachers. And then when I spoke about it, people would say, oh, you must have read that book. I said, no. I said, has somebody found it? Yes. That would confirm that other people are thinking similarly to me that I am not crazy. So I am thinking what others are thinking also. So we are all self-similar. That's where comes the holographic similarity. And the conclusion was disease, aging per se, doesn't have to be problematic. We have to be really youthful and energetic and enthusiastic. As Dr. Ron said, when we are old, but what is it that doesn't allow us to become that? It is the chronic diseases we carry. And the chronic diseases occur as a result of persistent stress. And a stress occurs as a result of a lack in a system. And what could be a lack? Let us see. If I get hungry, and if I'm not eating, if I don't eat, I become restless. I cannot think clearly. I'm not at peace. I need to eat. That's a lack. So similarly, the lack could be at the level of emotions. Do I have enough love? Do I have that lack of love? Do I have a peace in my mind? Or am I constantly thinking, what should I do next and what is this? These are all called lacks. And lacks could be at every level of existence, spiritual, astrological, universal, environmental. If there is a lack, we go out of balance. And when we go out of balance, our body is so beautiful that it knows how to compensate, which is called the homeostasis mechanism. It keeps doing it. It keeps correcting it. And a state comes when it says, I am correcting this lack, but this stupid fellow keeps staying in the same damn stress. He doesn't understand. I also have a certain capacity and I am going to get exhausted. I will break down. That's called the stress breakdown. And I will break down. Why doesn't he stop and realize and make a shift? That's when the actual chronic disease comes in and the disease sets in, which could be diabetes, it could be hypertension, which could be aches and pains, which could be whatever it is. All sorts of things. And then why do we have a lack? The question comes, why do we have a lack? It's ignorance. Nobody taught us how to live life and how to fulfill everything in life. At least we were not conscious of it. Ignorance means not being conscious. Next question, why aren't we not conscious? And the reason for not being conscious is nobody taught us about awareness. The very force and energy which created our whole body, that whole template, the whole stem cell into differentiation is the awareness. So you have to be aware. You have to be conscious. You have to fulfill your lacks. You have to prevent your stresses. And so we used all these formula. And within six months, I could correct my wife's disease, even the blood factors, which surprised me. So that was how we helped her to come back. And she's back to her beautiful self, completely reversed. And she stays reversed till date, unless she gets stressed. Well, I'm glad to hear about, about the success story of your wife. And what you're saying, for somebody who operates from a wellness perspective as I do, and 
from a positive psychology standpoint, this makes a lot of sense from a preventive standpoint, that it would seem that if one follows these principles, there's less likelihood of having some kind of a physical breakdown or disease or so on. But the reality is that disease does occur in the world, whether it be, you know, due to illness, injury, or whatever. Where do you or how do you dovetail with traditional medicine? In other words, if somebody gets a diagnosed disease, whether it be hypertension, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, a fracture, you know, to go back to your previous life, I'm assuming we can't just think our way out of it, that, that we do have to consult with a professional in medicine. Well, let me not put words in your mouth. What happens when disease occurs? You know, if modern medicine developed and it is in such an advanced state, it was meant to. It was necessary because the way things were happening for us and the way we were developing diseases, it was required whether it's the pharmaceutical industry, everything was required. And, you know, unless the existence of this universe doesn't permit the creation of something, it won't happen. And this is the way man progresses. Can you see how we were 70, 80, 100 years back and how we are now? Look at the progress. So modern medicine was required. It's always got a place, an emergency room. But the problem is we are not preventing. As you said, there's no prevention. And that is why we are creating disease. So we need an emergency solution. And there is a place for everything in every system. In the olden days, there was no need because we were not running so fast. We are all the time running, 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 running. Are we at peace? No. So modern medicine has a place. And I'm a trauma surgeon. I respect every aspect of modern medicine while respecting everything else also. We need to respect everything that has been created. And we need to see how can we integrate all this. I remember in Harrison Medicine, all this was not written. There was nothing, no place for alternative, complementary. Now there is a place, there's a chapter in the medical school. People are getting aware. The young doctors are being taught. Isn't that wonderful? So this is also happening. So both things happen. So we should never blame something. We should find the good in everything and try to adopt. That is my take on this. That's great news to be able to, to see. I think a lot of times when people develop new directions, there tends to be a disregard of the fact that, that other people are doing a good job too, but perhaps the focus should be on prevention and you know quality of life first to try and reduce the necessity of it. And as you pointed out, I know that a lot of medical schools, a lot of new physicians have now had training in integrative or complementary medicine, and I think it's a wonderful development. On the other hand, I am often, as a psychologist, sometimes put on or in a category of saying, well, this isn't real science, that, you know, what's going on, nobody can measure this, it's not an EKG type thing or an x-ray or whatever. So our roles may be reversed at this time, but there may be a little part of my brain that is wondering as I hear this, having been trained traditionally, is this just something that, you know, he made up, it makes sense to him as 
uh, wife might have gotten better anyway, whatever it may be. Is there some real science behind it, whether it be research or other kinds of things that suggest that this is not just something that, that works for you, but there's something real going on here? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So coming from the medical background, how would I respond to see whether my wife is getting better? After applying all that, I need to do investigation. I told you the factors and all became normal. The ESR came down to normal. The lymphocytes reduced. All the chronic factors reduced. That means it was measurable. So, and we saw that in rheumatoid arthritis. Then we said, and being a doctor and having set up a medical school and setting up the trauma center, the state-of-the-art trauma center, and also creating the continued medical education from a country, I had to be answerable to what I'm talking about. And there has to be subjective, objective, and investigative results in evidence. Okay, so we started applying the same thing onto other patients, never depriving them of their medication or treatment, adding them the complement of this type of a session along with it, and to see what was the result and how early were the doctors retracting the medicines while they were under the care of the medical work, and how they were surprised at the changes and how they were excited. So there had to be evidence. If there is no evidence, all this is mumbo-jumbo. For everything, there has to be evidence. And it had to have results. So we saw it started working in all the patients of rheumatoid arthritis. And then rheumatoid arthritis, such a broad spectrum of organ involvement. Then we said, oh my God, it's working on different organs, the heart, lungs, this, everything. So while they're having medication, they're able to reduce it and they're able to improve, they're able to get back. And sometimes we have already predicted you're going to die for a cancer patient and they have improved their life while taking the anti-cancer drugs. The decision is the client's. And even though we give them this thing, we are giving you anti-cancer drugs and the side effects of it, we are not responsible. If the surgery goes wrong, we are not responsible. We take that from the patient. We do all those things. To just protect ourselves. That's fine. But they improved. Okay. So there had to be evidence. Then we started applying it to every possible disease. And can you imagine a trauma surgeon? What knowledge does he have about cancer and medicine and all that stuff? Because he's not practicing that. He's forgotten everything. All he does is what he knows. We study such a vast amount of medicine. How much do I use? This wee bit. The what I do every day. And then. So we started applying. In fact, all this evolved and developed to an equivalent medical program as a complementary thing. What is going to be the future? What we are seeing of this science, which I'm talking to you, is what is going to be 200 years from now. So just like what was medicine 200 years back? It didn't have all this research. It didn't have all this. Then what do we talk of? So I want, next question comes to me is, should I only do what is scientific? Proven? How much is proven in the world? 5% of how this world works? What is science? Man's quest to understand creation. And what is spirituality? Awakening? Man's quest to understand that potential which created us. Okay, so... Science knows 5 to 7% at the moment. And because of this 5 to 7%, we have become so modern. Can you see the development? And if we know the rest of the thing, 
which doesn't mean it's not scientific. It's just that we haven't been able to do research on it. We were not able to do that just like our spaceships. What were they now? Before and what are they now? But the vision of the space lab outside, space cities outside was already in the mind. And that mind evoked those creations even before the actual creation happened. So I want to tell you that you should also accept beyond the science which we know because that is also scientific. We don't know much about the cosmos, but the cosmos is perfect. It's working and functioning perfectly. We're still trying to find out about it. But that doesn't mean it's not scientific. It is. It's just that we have not opened ourselves up to it. So whether scientific or not scientific, it is still scientific. Remember that. And why is it scientific? The evidence, the shift, the subjective change you have. The objective change, measurable changes like strength, stability, performance, vision changes, the balance, the peace, the ease. And the last, investigative. Use an EKG, use an EEG, use any medical instrument you want to and try to see what happens as you progress with a client before and after. Everything is proven. Everything changes. I'm quite surprised at how it's happening because my limitation of being in science has grown. I go now beyond science in spite of being a person with scientific and in spite of a person who believes in double-blind studies. And I want to limit one thing, double-blind studies. We want a double-blind studies. We want one with a placebo and one with the medicine and want to see the results. And you've noticed, and as a psychologist, you know, 90% of the diseases are psychosomatic and everything can be cured the moment you change the belief system inside the individual. That is true. So that's also scientific. And so, remember that everything is possible. Who is the person who makes it possible? You. You need to have a trust in yourself. You need to take a decision, not others for you. And don't believe whatever everybody says. Believe and trust what you feel is right by awakening the teacher and doing it. This is my take. Okay, wonderful answer. Really enlightened me. So let's see if we can make this a little concrete for a certain percentage of the population, let's assume that, let me take myself as an example, that I'm a pretty healthy guy who, listening to you and wondering, I don't want to get disease. I know that I've, you know, read a fair amount. I know that there are some things about what you do with healthy eating, how important exercise is, and so on. Just wondering, from your perspective, if I want to lead my life in a way that minimizes my chances of getting a significant disease, are there, you know, a handful of behaviors that I should be doing or that you can recommend? Doc, the very fact that you're thinking that I want to reduce the chances of me having a significant disease. Look at that sentence from a healthy person. You know, we carry that fear. I hope not. I hope not. So we need to get out of the high hope, not, I will not. That is the first key. I will not. So don't even entertain a thought of negativity inside you. And if it comes, and as long as it's a thought, you can delete it. But the moment you verbalize it, that verbalization is a two-dimensional state, which start, it, you know, you're spoken, it will globally expand. Your speech goes all around your sound goes all around. And if we continuously say it again and again and again, we are fortifying 
that speech and that two-dimensional state to become a reality from hope not to actually happen. So the first key is whatever comes in the thought, delete it. This is not what I'm going to have. I'm not going to have. Second thing is, and the reason why we keep thinking, I hope not, is because we are thinking. The problem is unnecessary thinking. We need to have the art of stopping the thinking. And one of the ways is forget all the books, forget everything, forget all the knowledge. I had to undo all my knowledge. I had to deprogram myself to where I am. Staying in a balance and you use the word enlightened, an enlightened state. Everybody can get enlightened. And everybody is enlightened. And you yourself use the word enlightenment. And you were enlightened. That was so beautiful the way you expressed it. And the key is to get out of the head. Distract yourself from the head. Don't be in the head which keeps making you think. And if you want an exercise, we can do it together. An experiential exercise. Now, it takes a moment. Everything takes a moment. Okay. <laughs> you are doing it, not me. I'm instructing you and you are doing it. I'm not doing it. Okay. I cannot do it. Remember, nobody can heal you. Nobody can enter your space without you wanting it. And the key is never diagnose anybody. The only thing which is happening is they are not functioning at the potential they are supposed to function. That is the problem. So if somebody comes with a disease to me, I listen to the story because they want to tell. That's a let go. Let them speak. Allow them to speak. But don't come to conclusions or judgments. Then I see, I measure what is the potential at which they are functioning. And they would be functioning, for example, whatever your potential should be, it may be, instead of being 100, it's 20 or 30%, for example, for this time and this state of life. And when I say 20%, oh my God, doc, my potential is so low. I said, tell me the positive point. What is the good point in telling you that you're functioning at 20 you have 80% available. All you need to do is raise your potential to that 80. How can I do that? By stopping to think. How can I stop to think? I need to go to my forehead and walk out to the nose, to my lips, to my chin, to my throat, to my upper chest, to my center of the chest, to my heart, to my gut feeling area, the center of the mind gut feeling area. Just come there and see how you feel. Now, Dr. Ron, can you experience the peace? Can you experience the silence? Can you see there is no thought in your head? Such a simple step any one of us can do who is listening to this. So again, I'll repeat it. Walk out of the head. Walk out of the head. Don't stay in the head. You will be always thinking. And come to your forehead. Walk down to the nose, walking down the ladder. Walk down to your lips. Walk down to the chin. Walk down to your neck. Walk down to your upper chest. Center of the chest. Walk down to your heart. And now between the heart and the belly, the zephy sternum area, just above the solar plexus. Stay there. One. Stay there. Two. Count yourself. Three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. If you don't know how to hold it, put your hands so you are focusing on your hands and you will notice 
everything has become silent. If you had closed your eyes and opened the eyes after this, there will be a surprise. So when you practice next, you see that surprise for yourself. I don't want to program you to believe something. Fair enough. This has been fascinating and still don't think we've covered nearly enough. But one thing that I want to make sure we get to is what are you doing these days then? You've got these principles and so on. I understand you have a community that you you work with. What are you doing these days? I have been doing it for 36 years. See, my background and experience was establishing a medical school, a trauma center, and continued medical education. So I developed this new type of education with practice and experience. And we have an equivalent bachelor's, master's, PhD, and doctor of science program in this field of transformational sciences, wellness sciences, and destiny sciences. What was life sciences, actually? And there are nine steps to going to these levels. And I'm creating teachers or coaches or masters. And I'm also teaching them to be consultants, to do the sessions, to help the people understand and do that. And then having centers. So this is the type of profession they get into. Anybody can opt to get into this profession or they can do just to a workshop and they see the gift and they can apply whatever we teach immediately. And it's experiential during the workshop also. So this is what I keep doing. I have consultations. I have people coming to me means online nowadays. And I'm in five continents. I'm working in five continents in Asia, Europe, the Middle East, Far East, and then United States, South America, more in South America also. Africa is very less. So that's one continent which is missing. But when the time comes, it will happen. So this is how I keep myself busy. Every morning I'm teaching from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Then again at 12 noon after this, I'll be doing it. Then I'm doing it at 6 p.m. These are my students all over the world. That's how I keep myself busy. And is that uh, DRPF? That's my company. That's my organization. But if anybody wants to go, they need to go to drskramesh.com. Okay. And we'll have it in the show notes, but S-K-R-A-M-E-S-H.com. And also there is something available for everybody. They can go. There is free. How to attend a workshop free every day is there. All you need to do is register for it. If you go to the site, you will find it. There's so much available. We are not here only to take. We are here to give. And I give it every day. Great thing is, you know, I think that any time that we learn something new that has some application, you know, we can test it out. Evidence has to be there. Yeah. And I think that realistically, it enables us to learn a little more about a different way of looking at things. And, you know, God knows there's too much disease in the world. It's not like, you know, as we've become, you know, more knowledgeable about this, that we've eliminated these kinds of things. So I think that the notion of, you know, prevention, lifestyle management, wellness is the way to go. Again, I I think I've mentioned on some of these podcasts, you know, working in a medical school, you don't see out of shape physicians anymore. People are concerned about wellness and I suspect that there's probably some people, whether they acknowledge it or not, that are probably in in touch with your community and learning some things from you. And I think, again, you bring the unusual perspective of traditional medicine and surgery to something that you've demonstrated works 
And I think everybody kind of owes it to themselves to have an open mind, learn a little more. And I'm glad that I was able to help bring the, the word out there. You've only scratched the surface, so maybe we'll have to get you back here to, to learn a little more about it. But it's been such a pleasure to have you with us, Doc. Uh, again, it's been Dr. S.K. Ramish and his ideas on how to help ourselves become the best versions of ourselves by really being in touch with ourselves. The whole idea of living our lives enthusiastically is kind of highlighted by some of the things that we've heard here and that can be helpful. So it has been another interesting and informative episode of Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. My special thanks go to Dr. S.K. Ramish. I hope that those of you who listen to the podcast will tell friends about it, will download, subscribe rate and review the podcast, and of course, visit the mental health gym for various reasons, including suggesting future guests of the podcast. And so until next time, this is Dr. Ron Kaiser signing off and encouraging you to lead your life enthusiastically and to keep on learning and growing as you go through life. Take care now.